This is the Mark Stucheski Podcast. Dave Scatchard was a warrior that had an incredible 14-year National Hockey League career with six different NHL teams. After his fifth concussion that nearly ended his life, he has dedicated his life to helping others reach their full potential in life and business with his all-star coaching program. Dave is an author, speaker, and coach that is considered by many of his peers to be one of the top life and business coaches in the world. Dave, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. I got to bring you on the road with me. I like that intro. That's a good one. <laughs> well, to full disclosure, you did write it. So, <laughs> well, listen, I will. I will confess to the listener. The listener may not know this about me, but I was originally from Rochester, New York. They knew that, but I loved hockey until I moved down to Houston in 1997. I used to go to the Rochester Amherst hockey games up in Rochester, New York. Never went to a professional NHL game. Used to watch them all the time on TV. And I remember when I was a little kid, I used to stand with the, the Amherst used to walk down the, from the locker room on the ice. And I was like nine or 10. I'm like, Oh my gosh, these guys are huge. Of course they're on ice skates. You know, they're walking out and I'm like, Oh my gosh. It wasn't until I got to be in my twenties to realize that they're just human beings, but they look like giants to a kid. Yeah, they're big. I mean, I had to mess with a bunch of big monsters out there over my career. And uh, th trust me, they're big. <laughs> um, I remember fighting, uh, I think it was a guy named Ken Sutton. Uh, he was six seven, six eight. I played with Eric Cairns, who was six 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 seven, one of the toughest guys in the league. Zdeno Chara, 6'9". I mean, these guys are are, are athletic for, for the size that they are. And like I'm six three, two twenty three when I was when I played. Uh, like I was a thick, big guy. And uh, listen, there were times when I was running into people a lot bigger than me out there. So uh, when you're going twenty five, thirty miles an hour, and that happens, uh, it takes its toll on you. That's for sure. Now I got to ask you a question about fighting because there's the old joke that people say. I went to a, a boxing match and the hockey game broke out. You know, yeah, we get that. But I heard, and I want to hear it from your mouth. Is is fighting like really part of the game? In other words, you can fight with someone in the game and then later on you're having beers. Is that true? Oh yeah. A thousand percent. Okay. And <laughs> usually the guys that I fought are like the best guys ever when I met them like <laughs> okay. later. Cause think about the type of quality of person that that has to be like, you are there to help protect your teammates and your family. You're a stand up guy. You'll stand up for anybody. Most of the time, most of the fights, and somebody told me I had somewhere around 100 in my career, like most of those fights were not about me mm. at all. They were sticking up for a teammate or a friend. Yeah, a few things were personal, but like I would say probably 70% of them were just me um, protecting one of my either smaller or more skilled players or just a friend that looked like he was in trouble. And, um, you know, I think in the book I talk about um, my first fight on the ice at 16 where I fought this monster that was six foot five, 225 <laughs> pounds. And I was six foot three, one sixty three, if that. Oh, wow. And, uh, <laughs> and I remember it like it was yesterday. And, and he cross-checked one of my teammates in the back. And this little, his last name is Rob, Roberts, Robinson, Robertson, something like that. And I was, he was my teammate, really good little player. And he cross-checked him in the back and I just happened to be skating by and I don't know why, but I said, like, why don't you pick on somebody your own size? And before I knew it, he had his gloves off. He's beating the tar out of me. My face has exploded all over the place. There's blood everywhere. And I'm just hanging on for dear life. And then, like, I'm like, well, I'm getting pounded. I might as well throw back. So I started throwing <laughs> 
and this was the toughest guy in the league at the time. Okay. So you got to understand I'm away from home. I'm 16 years old. Mm. I'm fighting this monster. He beats the crap out of me. Uh, but I didn't go down. I didn't, I didn't fall. I like, and yeah, my nose, that was uh, probably the second or third time I broke my nose, uh, out of 12. But, um, <laughs> but my teammates, uh, were so proud of me because I was this underage kid. This guy was like 20, 20, I think he's 20 years old. I was 16. Mm. He was way bigger. He was a, a killer. And I stood up for my teammates and they knew that I was going to lose that fight. I knew that I was going to lose that fight. Everybody in the building knew that I was going to lose that fight, but it was the right thing to do at the right time. And I really um, found a strength in me that I didn't know that I had. Cause when I grew up, I was a goal scorer. Like I scored a ton of goals. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. I had a, I remember one year I had 98 goals in a season, like leading into junior. Wow. Uh, my 14 or 15 year old years. So, you know, I never fought. I never even knew, like, I was just a goal scorer. I thought it was going to be like Wayne Gretzky. And then when I moved away and I started playing, I moved away at 16 to go play. Um, they had 19 year old kids that were goal scorers that were better than me. And the only way that I could stay in the lineup is if I started to do other things, that would be, you know, play really physical or body check a lot of guys or win face-offs or block shots or do all these other little intangibles. And that kind of let me keep my spot in the lineup with these older players. And then I was really scared of fighting. And then after that one, and I talked about it in the book, I was uh, sitting on the bus and we're on the bus ride home and my face is throbbing, right? <laughs> and my note that the, the trainer had stuck, you know, these popsicle sticks up my nose and <laughs> Like straighten it back out. <laughs> I got these Kleenex gauze things up my nostrils to stop the bleeding. And my face is throbbing, but it didn't really hurt that much. Like I was like, wow, like that's about as bad a beating as I could take. And I'm like totally fine. <laughs> and and I remember getting off of the bus and I had my little, I had a Dodge Omni. It cost me a couple thousand bucks. It looked like a rabbit with like this little airfoil. I don't even know what the airfoil did. It was ridiculous. <laughs> I, I had a tape deck in there. Uh, that's when tapes were a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I put it in cause it didn't even have a tape deck. So I jimmied this, uh, like piece of wood with electrical tape. So it looked like <laughs> it was like, like it was like black, you know, just total, you know, that's what happens when you're a 16 year old kid yeah. living on your own. And, um, I, I, I put in the, uh, tape, uh, Pearl Jam, um, that awesome album. I forget what it was. And, uh, it had that song alive on it. I remember getting in my car and I'd held it together the whole day. Right. And I get in my car and I'm driving after the bus dropped us back off in our, in our town. So we were playing in Fernie. We drove back. So it was about an hour and a half. We get back to the rink. It's like midnight, 1230 at night. And I put that tape in and I just crank it and I'm driving home and I just had tears just pouring down my face. And I'm like, you know, I'm really proud of myself. Like I was terrified to fight this monster, but I did it. And my teammates appreciated the fact that I was there for them. And I took the worst of it, but I was still alive. And that song to this day, I get goosebumps if I hear that song. And I had it cranked in my, in my little car. And I'm driving home. I got tears. And they weren't tears of pain or sadness. They were tears of, like, pride. And, like, I felt like I took a big step from being a little bit scared of fighting and, and going after these bigger players to realizing I don't have to be afraid of anything anymore. Mm. 
like this guy could fight in the NHL. That's how tough he was. And, and he, I think he may have played a few games in NHL as a tough guy. So if I fought him and I lost and I'm still pretty darn good, like, yeah, my nose is bent a little bit and whatever. But like, for the most part, I'm like, man, if I fight this guy, I can fight anybody. <laughs> and then I just started playing really a different game. I got my confidence about like being able to protect myself, even though I didn't know what I was doing. And I think I only fought a couple more times that year as a 16-year-old. And then my 17-year-old year in junior, I probably had 13 or 14 fights. And like, I still don't really consider myself a fighter, but I was, I was getting comfortable mm. with my gloves off. And um, people see fights on the ice and they don't really get it or they don't know how it happens or they don't know what was said on the ice or whatever. And there's usually a little story behind it, like for that, like just what I just told you. You might not have noticed that cross check in the back of his neck, but I did. And I went and I, and I righted the wrong and it, it gave me a little bit of room out there and players started to like, be like, Whoa, like I'd, I'd hear people say like, sketch is kind of sneaky, tough. Like he, <laughs> he, the heavyweights wouldn't, I would fight heavyweights, but they didn't really want to fight me. Cause like I was, I could still score goals, but it's bad if like a middleweight knocks out a heavyweight. So the heavyweights didn't really want to fight me and the middleweights. I felt like I was on the top end of the middleweights where I could fight anybody that was kind of my size and like, you know, handle myself really well. Well, I have a couple and questions I, about fighting. Yeah. I want to interject here because this, this, is, this is so funny. Cause like, I've done like, like, I don't know, all these crazy podcasts and like, this is the first time we've sat with it and talked about fighting. So I'm kind of like reliving it right now. <laughs> well, I kind of like it. I wasn't going this far into the episode with it, but I got a couple of things I want to ask you. First yeah. of all, does fighting can fights start because maybe the game is kind of lopsided and the fight gets the spark going? Because I've watched games like that. Yeah. One thing that it's totally one way. There's a fight mm -hmm. and all of a sudden the momentum going the other way. So is that kind of like a strategy? Yeah, a thousand percent. And there were people that was specifically on the team to fight. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was ever really one of those guys. Like I could score, I could make plays, I could kill penalties. I could do whatever the coach needed me to do. So I felt like I was a little bit more like a Swiss army knife and they could kind of use me wherever they needed to, which was a good quality to have. That's what kept me in the league for quite a long time, but for sure a good player. And sometimes I saw super superstars do this. I've seen Ovechkin do this. I've seen, uh, you know, and he's, he's not a fighter, but he knew his team needed something to get him going. And, and I actually saw him drop his gloves and I was like, wow. <laughs> and, 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 and they won the Stanley cup that year. Wow. And they won the Stanley Cup that year. And and what I mean by that is Alex Ovechkin is a pure goal scorer. He's the best goal scorer yep. in the world. But he rocks, guys. He hits everybody <laughs> yep, in he sight. <laughs> and the year that they won the Stanley Cup, he switched from being at all about him to being all about winning. Mm. And it wasn't about how many goals he got. It was about his team winning and him blocking shots and him, like, crushing guys. And, like, that was the year where he fought. And – I'm sitting there and I'm watching it and I'm like, man, he's a different, he's that's, he's a total player now mm -hmm. because your teammates, you think that his teammates didn't get fired up and the oh, crowd yeah. didn't get fired up when the best player in the league who doesn't need to fight ever in his, he, didn't, <laughs> he has no reason to, but he's only doing it because he wants to get the boys going and he wants to get that crowd fired up and change the momentum of the game. Cause he's sitting there and I specifically, this happened to me, but he was sitting there watching the game and he's like, I don't like the way things are going. And I remember this a couple of times, and I might have mentioned in the book, one time Mike Keenan had just taken over as Vancouver Canuck head coach. And I didn't, I was terrified of him because he didn't like young guys. And if he didn't like you, he would bury you in the minors and you wouldn't get a chance to get wow, out. Wow, I didn't know that. 
Oh yeah. No, he, <laughs> he, he, he preferred older players. He preferred guys. He didn't have to like teach up and coach up, but he liked me. Cause I, I was an energy guy, but when he first took over, he didn't know who I was. And this is a true story. Mike, if you're out there, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm <laughs> ratting on you, but this is one of the stories. I think it's in the book. He, uh, I'm sitting on the bench. It's game two that he's the head coach. And I'm so scared of this guy. And the whole first period's gone by and I haven't played a shift. He hasn't called my name, whatever. And then in the second period, it starts and he kicks me in between like where the pants in the back and your shoulder pads go right in the kidney with this dress shoe. And it, it's, it was like a <laughs> knife in my back. And I almost started crying. I'm sitting on the bench. I'm like, what the? And I look over and I stare, I stare a hole through him. And he's like, stare me back. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> so I don't say anything. I don't say anything. And then two seconds later, boom, he kicks me in my other kidney. And I, at this point, I turn around and I go, you got a you know, problem? And uh, he's like, yeah. He's like, I don't know who you are. Who are you, rookie? And I'm like. This is during the game? Yeah. I go, read my, read my back. And the play is going back and forth. So guys are like skating on the ice. Lines are changing. And there's like this argument. But he, this is Mike Keenan. He would do psychological things to see what you're made of, right? And if you would stand up for yourself. He wanted you to push back a little bit. But I didn't know this at the time. So like I'm like, I get in this huge like staring match with him. And I'm just like, he's like, you haven't done anything all game. I'm like, you haven't put me on the ice yet. I, how am I going to do anything? He goes, if I put you on the ice, you're going to do something? I'm like, yeah. He's like, if I put you on the ice, you're going to do something? He's like, yeah. I said, yeah. So uh, he's like, let me see. So the face-off is directly in front of our bench on, on the blue line. And I'm a right-handed centerman. Sometimes I play right wing. He puts me on left wing with like two <laughs> players that are not on my line. And I look over and luckily there was another young guy from uh, like I was 20 or 21 at the time. There was another young guy on the other team. And I look over and I'm like, hey, like we got to go. He's like, Ab- <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And the puck dropped, and I just grabbed him, and I beat the tar out of him, right? And as I'm starting, the guy's called it starting the lawnmower, because I'm, like, starting the lawnmower on his face, right? <laughs> so he's he's down, he's down his knees, and I'm just pounding and pounding. And I was like, it's the first time a coach ever, like, kind of made me snap like that. And as the refs grabbed me, I definitely, like, dominated the fight. As the refs grabbed me, I didn't turn around and skate backwards to the, to the penalty bit, uh, box, what I did was I faced the bench and they, the refs had to push me skating backwards. Cause I was staring Mike Keenan in the eyes, basically like looking at him, like, don't you ever do that to me again? And he's sitting there like grinning ear to ear, like a Cheshire cat. Cause he loved it. He knew now that he could push my buttons. I would like bring energy to the game and whatever. We ended up coming back and winning that game. And like, it was a turning point in my career because I think that I was on the bubble and I think that he would probably sent me back if I didn't do what I did. Wow. And he knew I was all in. He knew that I would do whatever it took. And I went from being this guy that he didn't know and wasn't sure about to probably being one of his like favorite players. And, you know, he would use me as a whipping boy sometimes and like really make things hard on my, uh, on me, but like I could handle it. I, I had tough coaches, which I read about in the book earlier in my career. So I had some thick skin and I knew he wanted me to be better. So I didn't care really what he said about me. And, and it's like, you know what? I think in the end he, he loved and respected me for it. And I truly, I like to think that I was probably one of his favorite players there. And a lot of guys couldn't stand him. Um, Mike Keenan, uh, as sort of uh, crazy as some of his methods were, um, 
I'm grateful for him because he kept me in the league. And, and if Mike Keenan likes you, uh, the rest of the league takes notice and they're like, wow, that kid must have something. If I think kept, kept I could be wrong. I think he coached for a, a season or two in Rochester. He coached the Amherst when he first started. I could be wrong. I don't know. Maybe. I, and I remember that Amherst Arena. I wasn't in Syracuse very long. I Syracuse only played, Crunch, right? Yeah. And I, <laughs> I remember playing against the Amherst and – uh, a little teammate of mine, Scotty Nickel. I don't know if you remember him, but he was there for a long time before he got his break with Nashville. And, um, yeah, I, I was very blessed that I didn't really have to play many games in the minors when I first came in before I had these crazy heel surgeries. And then somehow, by the grace of God, I made the Canucks the next year after being off like almost the whole season wow. with these insane heel surgeries that I had. And those things, they told me I might never play again. So, you know, when I look at all, that's why I, when I wrote the book, like I'm looking through like everything that my body and my, my mind have been through, like, man, I am, I am like strong and, uh, and now I'm strong in a different way, mm-hmm. meaning I'm not armored up. I'm not pretending like what you see is what you get. I'm vulnerable. I'm authentic. I'm real. And I found that the power of living my way, um, uh, living my life in this way of being truly open, honest, emotional, vulnerable has actually made me stronger, even as opposed to the fake strong. The fake strong is like where you don't show emotion or you don't show that you're weak or that you're scared or that you're this or that you're that. And you start to become this like gladiator or like, like, you know, I really, when I, when I coach, I have a soft spot for like, uh, you know, people in, um, paramedics and doctors and like uh people in the army and firemen Mm. like these guys who have to become these these people that don't show feelings or don't express feelings because they just shove it down they're like oh they you know i i have friends that are firemen and ex-hockey guys and he's like yeah we walked in and you know there was a suicide today and i can't get out of my head you know Mm. and 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 you know at least he he could tell me that most of the guys just lock it in a vault and shove it down there. Mm. And there were a lot of things in my life that I had done earlier in my life where I had armored up so much that I couldn't feel. And in a way it helped me do my job because like, I, I just stopped being scared. I just stopped being fearful of anything, but I couldn't really let myself feel like anything, like even the good stuff. Wow. And that was when it got a little trippy as you're like, you know, I did this process, uh, after I retired and I wasn't healing. And, um, I went back and visited the purest version of my soul. And I was like this like little five-year-old boy and I was running through the forest and I had the Superman cape on my back. And then my dad held me out and we were like flying. Uh, It looked in the picture like I was flying. And, um, then I fast forwarded to this injured, painfully damaged, 35 year old hockey guy a million dollars in the bank I had a beautiful wife and three kids and i was like broken and um i couldn't feel and i couldn't heal so after three years at the mayo clinic three days a week the mayo clinic looks at me the best doctors in the world and they said dave you just have permanent brain damage that's just how your life's gonna be and i'm like what are you talking about like you guys have to have something for me i thought you guys are gonna fix me and they're like we've done everything we can. We've, we've ran every protocol like three years in a row. Like we, we, this is about as good as it's going to be for you. And at the time when they said that I slurred my speech, I dragged my leg when I walked, 
I, I, I couldn't sleep. Right. My headaches were never ending like all day, every day. Like it felt like a spike was stuck through my head mm. and, I, and I had no memory. I was on Alzheimer's medicine. Wow. I had no, no short term memory. And I remember sitting in my Range Rover just bawling and I'm sitting outside the Mayo Clinic and I'm just crying. And I, I, I don't even know what to do. I don't want to tell my wife. I'm terrified. And I honestly, it sounds nuts. And, and I was very honest in the book about the crazy thoughts I was having in my head about like just leaving here because um, I felt like I was a burden to my family and my kids. I couldn't really take care of them. I couldn't work. I couldn't, I was just in pain all the time and I would just hide in the dark. Like the bright lights hurt my, hurt me. Sounds hurt me being around groups of people. Give me like panic attacks and stuff. Like how many all years weird- have you been playing professional hockey when you started going through this? <sighs> Uh, 14. Okay. Now you, yeah. you mentioned that you suffered five concussions. I, I can't imagine yeah. having one. So was that what well, eventually got you to retire? Oh yeah. No, I mean, you know, I, I encourage you to read the book. Like, um, I, <laughs> so it's still weird for me to talk about, but the book's coming out in like <laughs> September 14th. So it's on and the world's going to know, but so that's I kept Tuesday. This as- yeah, I kept this a secret for a really, really long time. But um, my fifth concussion, I was knocked unconscious for, for 11 minutes. And um, on the while ice? I was, yeah. Wow. And while I was un, un, unconscious, I started to leave my body. And I looked down and I'm watching the paramedics and my trainers like working on me on the ice and putting me on a spinal board and putting me on a neck brace. And like I'm watching this whole thing like as I'm like floating up, it was the trippiest thing ever. And then all of a sudden it just went like pure black. And I'm like, what? And it was just black for like, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds, something like that. And I swear to you, Mark, it's like, it was like, it was like if an elevator just kept going up for like 15 seconds in pure blackness and then the doors open mm-hmm. and it was just like, and everything was the most beautiful thing that you could ever feel first it was a feeling and then it was like the light and i swear to you man the light was like pure love like unconditional love times a million it was like a parent's love but times a million i had i felt like i could breathe for like as long as i wanted forever there was no constriction everything was open everything was was expansive oh i know it was heaven i know it was heaven a thousand percent and the crazy part was I didn't even say anything for like a minute or two. I just sat there and weeped. Like I just cried because it was so beautiful and I didn't feel like I deserved it. I felt like it was like, it, it was, it's, it was so hard to write about this in the book because it's almost indescribable. Right. Mm. And it's like the light was love. The light was pouring into me, like just filling me up. And then it was just like exploding out of me at the exact same time. And there was no separation. It was like, God was in me and and like I was a reflection of God and it was like the wildest thing. So I start to have this like communication and the light ends up like holding me like a child and starts like brushing my hair. And I didn't see like a face or anything. It was like, but it was a presence mm-hmm. and the light was just stroking my hair and telling me every, that I was going to be okay. And I didn't need to be scared. And then I was home and welcome back or whatever it was so weird so so i'm sitting there and i'm just like crying because it was so perfect and there was no fear there was no worry there was no weight the weightlessness it was it wasn't even like floating in a pool it was just like 
freedom. It was like, it was like so space, so spacious and, and, and loving. Like love was the one common word that I just kept when I was trying to figure out how to write it. It was just pure love and it was grace. And it was like, I was in like ecstasy. It was like the most amazing feeling ever. Wow. So at one point I start walking with the, with the light and it's like, I was like a little boy. So I'm like holding my arm up like a hand and it felt like this hand was just guiding me and I'm just walking with the light. I'm about to go into wherever I'm supposed to go into. And I didn't really see any buildings or anything. It was just like this beautifulness and it was just, everything was so beautiful and, and rich and loving. And I was walking somewhere and then I had this flash and it was the only negative thing. And it was only for a split second, but I saw my one-year-old boy, my two-year-old boy, my four-year-old girl, all dressed in black at my funeral. And the casket was going down in the ground and my little boy and my wife was wearing black and everybody was crying. And then my little boy ran from his little seat that he was sitting in and jumped on the casket as they're putting it into the ground. And the grave digger was like throwing dirt on the casket as it was starting to go down. And it was like hitting my, hit, hit my son. Mm. And I froze in my tracks and I said, wait, 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 wait. I said, can I go back? And, and like, I can't express enough how parental it felt and how loving all the messages were. And I would think a thought and then the answer would come like instantaneously. So wow. I'd be like, can I go back? And it's like, well, you can, you don't have to. Wow. Everything's going everything's to be okay. And I'm like, I think I have to go back. And it's like, no, everything's going to be okay. I'll take care of everything. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, they're little. They're not going to have a dad. Like, I really think I have to go back. And then there was like, it got a little bit more serious. It went from like this loving to being like, just like honest dialogue. And it was like, well, if you want to, you can, but you're home now. <laughs> like, like, you know, you don't have to do that. Mm. And I just said, uh, I think I do. And I turned and I said, how do I, how do, what do I do? And it's like, don't worry. I'll take care of everything. <laughs> and it was so simple. Like it was like such a simple message. And I was like a little boy and I'm just like, so then, so then I said this, I said, um, now that I know that you're real, cause I didn't grow up in church or anything like mm -hmm. I did. And I said, do you want me to go and sell all my stuff and go do a mission trip or whatever? Do you want me to go to Africa? I don't know. Like, mm -hmm. what am I supposed to do now when I go back? I want to do something. If I'm going to go back, I want to make a difference. Yeah. And the, and the message was so like, it was almost like a dad laughing at his son. He's like, no. He's like, you know what I want you to do? I want you to take this love and grace and this feeling. I want you to take that back with you. And I want you to share that with every single person that you come into contact with the rest of your life. And I really want you to love them just like they're your brother or just like they're like they're your sister. That's it. And I'm like, that's all you want me to do. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I can do that. And I'm just like blissed out, you know? So I'm like, are you sure there's not anything else? And then this is where it gets a little funny to me for me, not funny, like sad for me to say now it's like, he said, yeah, I'd like you to share this story with the world. And I didn't. I didn't for, this is 2021, that my accident was in 20, 2011. Oh, wow. So this has been 10 years I've been like keeping this a secret. And I tried to start writing this book five years ago. Wow. And I would start and I would stop and I would start and I would stop and I couldn't get, 
I'd have these like things like, why, why do you want to bring this into your life now, Dave? You're good. <laughs> like you're good. You don't need the, the, all this like craziness that's probably going to cause in your life or all this attention or whatever. Like I don't even, and it's like, I got to keep my promise. And as I wrote the book, it started to give me freedom to talk about my beliefs and what I saw and, and how God has played an instrumental part in every single aspect of my life, even though I didn't grow up with religion. And it's, it's undeniable. The, and, and then as I begin to talk about it, it's like all these like confirmations come. And let me tell you something. So I did that experiment or that exercise where I went and found little David, right? The little purest version of my soul. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't see his reflection. I know I'm jumping back and forth. But confirmation that I was tracking in the right direction was after the second miracle that I had. And I'll talk about that after I finish the heaven story. But I kept this secret that I was going to let little David lead my life from now on, just like a child, like just be pure. He loved animals. He loved nature. He loved helping people. Like, yeah, I was this hockey guy in a past life, but like, um, not now. Like my mission now is just to help people and love people. So I show up for Christmas and your listeners can't see the picture, but um, my 90 year old grandma comes down to Scottsdale, Arizona, her last plane ride that she took because she doesn't travel very much anymore. And it's the last gift that I open up for Christmas. And I hadn't even told my mom, my wife, I hadn't told my mom, I hadn't told my grandma. And she hands me her gift and she goes, you know, what do you get a guy that has everything? And she gave me this picture. Oh, wow. Of little David. And I just burst into tears when she gave me that because nobody knew what that picture meant to me. And that was the exact vision that I had when I was trying to find myself again. Got overwhelm? Then you need to get my free guide, 10 Quick Ways to Conquer Overwhelm. This free guide will help you quickly deal with overwhelm so you can get back to making the impact you've dreamed of. Get your copy for free at OverwhelmSucks.com. Wow. And for the benefit of the listener, what he showed is a picture of him as a little boy wearing a cape like he's flying. And incredible absolutely incredible and a couple things you know i'm so glad you shared your story i didn't want to interrupt you because you were on mm-hmm. a roll and you just very smoothly went from one topic to another and i want the listener to understand that this is a guy he used to kick the crap out of people on the ice and that in itself is quite a talent to be able to fight while on skates to the crowd and, and here he is sharing a very intimate story so i want you to know that hey, I'm a Christian, I've been Christian for many years now, that we are all here for a reason. And there's a reason why you're here sharing your story. And I want the listener, whether you believe in God or not, there's a reason why we're all here. And you've given us so many, so many messages in the time we've already talked and we have more to go yet. And I just want to thank you early for being on the show because most people, especially NHL tough guys, would never come on and and share the story of, you know, going up to heaven and then making that decision of coming back because most people go, why would you want to come back? I mean, this is, it's pure love, but then you had children and a wife at home and it's not black or white. So again, thank you for sharing that. And, uh, you know, I, your book is coming out on Tuesday and I'm going to go order that book because it, it, it sounds like an awesome book. So you said there's another story you wanted to share with us. 
Well, yeah. So, right. It seems like an, an amazing thing. So I'm all blissed out and, and, and I asked to come back and I expect that when I come back, I'm just going to feel as amazing as I did <laughs> the last like <laughs> 10 minutes or so. Right. And as I start to come back into my body, I wake up and I'm in an ambulance and I'm on a spinal board. I got a neck brace. They've cut off my equipment. I'm still wearing my skates and stuff on my feet, but they've cut off everything to, in case they needed to get to my heart. And um, my jaw is dislocated. My nose broke. My ribs are broke. My collarbone's broke. Do you know what happened? Imbi- Do you remember what happened? No, I don't remember, but I saw a video and I just, I, 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 it was like six seconds into the game and I just came flying down the ice, down the middle of the ice. And, uh, I made a backhand pass to a teammate of mine and, and I was watching my pass to make sure that he got it. And then it was like one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. And the guy just, the defenseman kept flying up the ice and just smoked me when I didn't have the puck. So wow. I had no defenses up. So I was unconscious before I hit the ice and I hit my head on the ice oh, again wow. when, I, when I hit the ice. So, you know, when I came back into my body, I'm trying to tell the paramedics, like, oh, my goodness, did you guys see that? Like, that was amazing. <laughs> and my jaw's flapping all around the side. And the paramedics are like, sir, stop talking. You've been in an accident. You're strapped to a board. Uh, we're about to go get you um, an MRI of your brain, uh, you know, uh, and your neck. And and I sl- it took about 15, 20 seconds. And I sink back into my body completely. And the weight of this world and the pain that I was in as I came back into it was almost unbearable after being in that wow. other, the contrast, you know what I mean? Mm. And it like, it terrified me. I just started like, I mean, I know I've talked about crying like three times today, but I started, I started crying again because I knew I was in trouble. Like I knew I, I, and then I started instantly regretting my decision. I'm like, oh man, I shouldn't have come back. Like, so I'm like, well, I'll just get better and I'll go get the best doctors in the world and I'll just go to the Mayo Clinic, they have brain doctors and all this stuff because nothing was working. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And I was embarrassed for people to see me in that state because I felt like I was like a Lamborghini that was in like a head-on collision and then I just left on the side of the road. I didn't want anybody to see me. So I just went into hiding and I kind of disconnected from everyone and everything only relief that I would ever get from my headaches is if I, um, if I, if I had a couple drinks at night and I wasn't a heavy drinker before or anything, but I started like drinking myself, uh, not like, you know, crazy, but like when you're, when you go from nothing to like having like two or three glasses of scotch or whatever to like take the pain away. Mm. And then like, then I just wake up and the headache would be there and then it just never leave, like never ever. And it was just there constantly. And the memory thing was terrible. I made some really bad parenting mistakes about forgetting my children and like, like just crazy dangerous stuff. Wow. And I felt like I was, a, uh, I felt like I was going to hurt like a kid or something. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, oh my God. So anyways, after three years at the Mayo clinic, they go, yeah, we've run all our protocols. We've done everything we can for you. You're on your own. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, I can't live 60 more years like this. And I was 30, I was 36 or 37, whatever. Wow. I'm like, and I just started panicking and I started screaming at God and I'm like, why are you punishing me? Like, I'm a good person. You know that I know you're real. Where are you? Where are you now? Mm-hmm. And what I didn't know was like, God was working for me the whole time. And that he was trying to realign me into this other world that I live in now. And I'm so, so grateful. But at the time, 
I felt sorry for myself. I played the victim. I didn't even play the victim. I was the victim. And it was a reality that I had bleeding in my brain. It was a reality that uh, I had disabilities. It was. But if I would have accepted those diagnoses from the best doctors in the world, I would still be that. I would still be there. If I just said, well, those are the best in the world. They must know what they're talking about. But there's this huge part of me that's like, no, Dave, like there's more. Like you got to go and you got to find like, you got to find some answers. I had five properties in three countries, all luxury properties. And I'm like, I'm going to screw something up because I can't remember what I'm doing. I wrote a $80,000 check to the same contractor two days in a row. And he's like, Dave, you paid me yesterday, mm. you know? And I'm like, oh, sorry. I, I, and I hired a life coach. Life coach asked me what I want to do with my life if I could ever heal. And I said, I want to help people. I want to help kids. And then he said, well, I really think you should go to San Diego and, and do some of this uh, leadership training. And this guy was a Tony Robbins coach. So I go to leadership training. On the way to San Diego, I'm praying for a miracle. I'm like, God, if there's not a miracle, like I'm checking out. Like I, I just can't. This is too, this is too much. And I'm a strong dude. So for me to say it's too much, like it's mentally exhausting being, having a constant never ending migraine and not being able to remember, remember anything. Mm. I could do all great work and not remember anything that I did like at all. I had no short term memory. I could remember my childhood, but I couldn't remember what I did yesterday or the day before or the day before. Wow. It was awful. So I'm praying for this miracle and I go to this seminar. And I have two life-changing miracles. One was realizing that little David, the little pure, innocent little boy that just loved people and wanted to help people and loved nature, I had covered him up with so many layers of armor and masks and stuff because I didn't want him to get crushed. Mm. Like, he's not a fighter. He's not a, he's not a, he's a sense of little soul, which is truly what I am in my nature. But I had to put on this armor to go do this job. But then I fast forwarded and I'm like, well, I couldn't see any reflection of this little guy in the current state that I was in of this broken hockey player. So I started searching and I'm like, oh my God, he's underneath all this armor. So I started ripping up all the armor, layer after layer after layer, all these masks, all these pretend things until I got down to the very end. And I was so vulnerable and so exposed. And I was so scared to rip off that last layer of armor. And when I did, Mark, the grace and the light that I'd been seeking for the last three years while I was in pain that I saw when I was in heaven just poured over me. Wow. And it was almost like it was like stacked up, like trying to get to me. And there was too much barrier of armor that it couldn't penetrate. It couldn't get to my heart or my soul. So that changed my life because I got completely free. It was like all these layers were gone. And it was just this little, little innocent kid, just skinny, <laughs> vulnerable, scared, and I just started bawling and like, I felt like I was really being born again and giving like a second chance. And this time I said to God, how do I stay here? And he's like, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be present every day with me. And I started meditating at four o'clock in the morning every day. That's what I do still mm -hmm. to this day. And that keeps my connection. So I really feel like I'm being guided right now. I really feel like people are coming into my life and being woven into my life and people that I coach and serve. I did this challenge last year for 17,000 people over the course of the year where we help people during COVID for free. And then my business just started exploding because I was just coming from a place of serving first. And then everybody got excited about what I was doing and what I was teaching. And then business just went nuts. So, um, but my point being, that was miracle number one. Listen to this. This is how cool this is. So I go back to my room 
and I'm thanking God. And I'm like, oh my God, thank you. You're going to heal me. Um, like I know it. I'm, I'm, I'm already, I'm on my way to healing. I can feel it. I can finally feel that healing energy that I was looking for for so long and brushing my teeth in the mirror. And God starts speaking directly to me through my own eyes in the mirror. It was the craziest thing. And it was like sad. And it was the first time that I ever like heard God's message, like sad. And it was like, Dave, I'm, I'm so sorry that I had to make you hurt and suffer like that and have that much fear and anxiety and feel like hopelessness. But you needed to understand that in such an intimate way because the people that you're going to be helping the rest of your life are going to be coming from places like that. And if you didn't understand it intimately and show them how to get out like you're about to get out, you couldn't do what you're about to do. Hmm. And it all made sense to me. He wasn't punishing me. He was like training me. Potter in the clay. I'm telling you, man, it's so crazy. So I had a couple of miracles that weekend. I drive home, you know, that was like whatever, October. I get this present from my grandma in December and I never told anybody about that moment. And it was just confirmation. God's like, yep, stay there. Wow. So I've let that little guy lead. And I'm like, what would little David do right now? <laughs> well, hey, go help that person. That person needs help. Go help them. And I honestly say that my entire life changed to being about me and having this great career and focusing all my laser focus on playing in the best league in the world and being one of 723 people in the world to do that job. To showing up to serve with an open mind and an open heart and saying, use me, man, like use me, put me where you need me. If that's on this podcast. If that's in my challenge in November. If that's in my live event in December, if that's on my webinar in October, if that's in my book in September 14th, I don't care where it is. Just put me everywhere and let people hear this message. And it's like, it's just truth. And it's just like being like yourself. And it's so much easier just to be like authentic and real. And I was so nervous that little David would get like massacred in life <laughs> because it seemed like people were always trying to take advantage of me or hurt me in my life, like trying to fight me or take my job or, or whatever, bully me or whatever as a young boy. I've never been more protected ever. And I have no armor on. The only armor that I have on is like a cloak of like light that I feel is like placed there by God. Wow. And as I've not known exactly how I was going to do what we're doing now, I prayed to God to use me. But I also said, I'm going to need massive amounts of new energy because I only have so much of my own energy to use. I was working like 14, 15 hours a day trying to get these like challenges. I would do these things for people. I had one assistant and she didn't know how to do any of the technical stuff. And I was learning. And so I chased Tony Robbins around the world for two years. Tony mentored me. Tony's one that told me to, that I needed to coach. And then um, I started to access this unbound energy. And one of the, uh, Donnie Epstein, one of Tony Robbins healers, uh, I've been really working close with a lot. And Tony told me one day, he goes, Dave, a wizard can do more in his pinky than a gladiator can do in his lifetime. Hmm. And I said, well, why don't I just learn how to be a wizard? <laughs> <laughs> so I started to go train with wizards. <laughs> That's how I went. You know, I've been to India and trained with monks, you know, shaman in Brazil. I got, um, I got uh, Donnie in my corner. I've had Dr. Barry Morgan, who's a, who's a big, uh, you know, a great friend of mine. And 
we're working with energy and we're playing these different spaces where we're really being fueled by the unbound. And what's really beautiful about that is like, I don't have to, I just need to show up and be open to using that unbound energy and it's limitless. Dave's energy is finite. It's, it's limited. But if I'm using the unbound energy for the greater good, you think God or the universe is just going to keep pouring it into me because he's like, Hey, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. Like I'll give you as much as you need. Mm. And it's a different way of being Mark. It's, 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 it's so less grindy and efforty. It's just more like flowy, if that makes sense, or glidy. It does. It does make sense. And I'm sitting here and normally, as my listeners know, <laughs> I, I, I talk more, but I'm, I'm so mesmerized. I was like, if anyone listens to this episode and is not mesmerized, you'll understand why I didn't talk a lot. I didn't, I was, I was like a little kid listening to his great, not that you're old, but a little kid telling, you know, a story. Now I'm probably older than you. I'm 56. So I'm, I'm older than you. Um, but it, it's just, I, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your very vulnerable story. Um, today is all, September 11th. Not a good day we want to remember in the United States. But on Tuesday, your book comes out, available everywhere. So what's the name of the book? Yeah, the book's called The Comeback, My Journey Through Heaven and Hell. And I share it all. I bear my soul. I get really uh, honest. And there's things that are embarrassing. And there's things that are funny. And there's things that will make you cry. And uh, I'm proud of it. And um, you know, it's done. It's taken me years to write and I'm just really proud of, of finally getting it done and, and proud of the, the man that I've become during this crazy lifetime of like trying to figure out how to become an NHL star from this little town in Hinton, Alberta, Canada and a coal mining dad and wow. having to leave home to try to go chase my dreams. And then, you know, somehow overcoming all these crazy obstacles and then having this wild ride while I'm in the NHL and, you know, I'm not taking anything away from it. It was incredible. Met my wife in New York City. She's a model. I was a hockey player. We traveled around. We, you know, uh, had my fourth concussion. I stopped playing for a year. Then I went to work for the NHL union. And I then I found a doctor who stuck needles through my head and my brain <laughs> and popped my, popped my face out with these balloons in my nostrils. It was crazy. And that helped me. So I decided to make a comeback. So, so the name, the comeback, is really like kind of, three or fourfold because the 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 funny thing is the comeback is really from heaven to back to here but there are hockey comebacks and underdog stories the whole time so you know i believe that the book is on amazon it's on uh, barnes and noble um kindle um we've got some stuff we're creating for the listeners uh, for all these podcasts uh, at allstarcoaching.com. So that website's being built right now. Hopefully it's done uh, by the time we launch, um, but I want to give some extra bonuses and stuff to people that, that buy in there. We've got a live event in Scottsdale in December. If people wanted to come and see us in person, that's going to be super exciting. Um, and uh, yeah, on the last podcast, I gave a bunch of listeners uh, uh a $297 ticket to the live event in December instead of a thousand dollars. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll honor that with your listeners and, and you just gotta, we gotta figure out some sort of a link or something I'll send to you and they can sign up through that. All right. Um, but yeah, man, the, the priority here is just to get the message of the book out and to let people maybe look at 
some of the circumstances in their lives and realize that it's actually working for you the whole time. Mm -hmm. Well, Tony Robbins, your mentor says life doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. And and the first couple, okay. First 200 times I heard that I didn't get it. I had to keep hearing over and over again. What life doesn't have to. And then I finally one day it clicked. Ah, so sometimes you got to hear something over and over and over again. And I kept hearing it and other people said it. Now I got two other questions, two final, two final questions for you. Going back to hockey. Number one. Okay. What's order do I want to say these in? Okay. First of all, what are your, this is not the final, final question. The final question before the final question is what do you think about goalie fights? Oh, I think they're great. I mean, <laughs> it's super entertaining. Most goalies don't fight. So when they do, it's like, who knows what's going to happen? They've got these huge, crazy pads and stuff. Like, it's not easy to throw punches when you're, you're like wearing these. You're on opposite ends of the ring, too. <laughs> yeah. So then, and, and what you might not know is like, whichever goalie crosses over the red line costs their team an extra penalty. So, oh, like, really? nobody really, okay. nobody really cares. Nobody really cares when it's, uh, happening because it's just funny and it's exciting <laughs> and most of the time nobody ever gets hurt so like all the, all the people that don't like fighting out there and listen like you just heard me share my story like you know there's a part of me that doesn't like me to be in fights but um for the 90 percent of the time nobody really gets hurt you, know, you might cut up your knuckles a little bit yeah. or whatever but it's like most of the time it's like it looks worse than it is yeah so yeah goalie fights hilarious and um <laughs> Uh, the team always loves it when it happens because it's like well, the goalies kind of want to take the mask off and their gloves, and it's like they got more. You just have to drop the two gloves. Well, I guess now you have to, you know, if you're unless you're a wimp, you have to throw the helmet off. Now I've seen some fights where the guy left his helmet on. I'm like, dude, that's not fair, okay? Because you're still wearing your armor. Now the other mm-hmm. question I have for you: What is your favorite NHL memory? <sighs> Can I name a couple? Sure, go ahead. Um, all right, my favorite my favorite NHL memory was my first game ever, and uh, it was 1997, and it was in Japan. Oh wow! And we were the first team out like of the NHL to ever play a game outside of North America. So on my team was Mark Messier, Pavel Bure, Alexander McGillney, Trevor Linden, all these superstars, and then me. <laughs> and I think I might have been an extra guy. Like that they were allowed to bring over, but by God's grace, uh, th- uh, one of the guys fell during warm up of the second game, and I was a healthy scratch the first game. I didn't play, and then he got his calf muscle was sliced by the goalie skate. Oh, wow. so they had to put me in. They needed me in. So I remember like sitting on the bench, and I dreamt about this day for the, my whole life. I never believed it would be in Japan in an arena called the Yoyogi arena with high diving boards. They're <laughs> like 50 meters high above the goalie net. So, this is, <laughs> so they built a rink over top of a swimming stadium and they put the boards up and the fans cheered for both teams, Anaheim and the Vancouver Canucks. Cause they didn't know who to cheer for. <laughs> and it was unbelievable. And I remember jumping on the ice, skating and laughing to myself. I'm like, I'm an NHLer now, man. I'm an NHLer. Nobody ever can ever take this away. And I go down and I, I can pitch the back of this guy's Jersey. I think it was like Wilkie and uh, I'm skating as fast as I can. And I just smoke them into this glass and they had really good glasses, really bendy and stuff. And the crowd just went bonkers. And I'm like, nobody can ever take this away. Like I'm in the NHL. Another one was my, my, uh, my, my, my first goal. 
because I, I had all these goals set and, uh, you know, um, one was to play in the NHL, one was to score a goal in the NHL and then one, you know, all these other cool goals. And like, you know, I scored, I think my 10th game or something. And I'm just like, wow, like it's all happening. Like everything I dreamt about, like my life has literally been manifested to like everything, like including this house I live in. Like I bought this house from the bank. I renovated it. I've got waterfalls, koi ponds, two trampolines, six golf holes. Like it's ridiculous. And like, I dreamt this when I was like 12, 13, 14 years old, I wrote it down. Now did you, did you, did you save the puck from your first goal? Oh yeah. Yeah. I got it. Uh, I got it right here somewhere. <laughs> if you, if you, if you wow. want to see it, I got this, I got the stick that I squirted it with. Oh actually. wow. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we keep, uh, actually let me just, I'll show you some stuff. So Unfortunately, the right. can't see this, which is really, uh, really. Yeah. Wow. So if you could see up in the corners, you see some yep. plaques and stuff behind my whiteboards. Yep. Those are for hat tricks. I had two hat tricks oh, in wow. a month, in a month in New York. And for a guy that doesn't play a ton, like ice time or superstar stardom. Now like, for the benefit of the listener who doesn't know what hockey is, there's a hat trick and then there's a natural hat trick. So explain that. So they know what you're talking about. Why it's a big deal. Yeah. Well, that's, that's three goals in a game and um, that's a hat trick. You know, What's a natural yeah, hat trick. A natural hat trick is three goals in a row. And I'm going to ask you a question to see if you know this, Uh-oh. what is a Gordy Howe hat trick? Oh, I, I think I know this one. I think it's a goal, an assist, and a fight. Like, you got it. All right. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, man. I mean, so many special, special moments. So many incredible superstars. Wayne Gretzky was my coach here uh, in Phoenix. Uh, Mark Messier was my teammate and my captain in Vancouver. I mean, I got to play and get close to some of my idols that I grew up watching, and um, I got, I idolize these guys. Now they're my friends. Now they're like I pick up the phone and call them. And like, let me ask you this question because this is this is kind of weird because I'm I'm sitting talking to you. I'm in Houston, Texas, and spare bedroom in my house, and I'm I'm talking to the guy who played the National Hockey League, was mentored by Tony Robbins, and you know you you know Wayne Gretzky, throwing all these names, big names, but you're just a human being, and they're just a human being. And it's not like they have superpowers. They're not God. And it, it's some people hear you know, your story and like, yeah, but he's an NHL player. And he, you know, he played for all these teams and he's a big star, but you're still a human being. You're married. You have kids. You're just a human being. I'm just like everyone else out there. And, you know, I got, I got a second chance at life and mm-hmm. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna waste it. And you know, you're a Christian, so you'll appreciate this, this story. And I, I think I heard it in a sermon. I can't remember where I heard it, but the person was saying, do you know when you're a parent and you like buy your kids all this cool stuff? Like my kids got two trampolines out back. They got a golf course. They got a basketball thing. They got hockey net. They got mountain bikes, skateboards, scooters. Right. <laughs> and then my little guy is sitting in the kitchen the other day and he's like, dad, like I'm bored. And like, I almost choke on my protein shake. I don't use the word bored ever. It doesn't exist in my vocabulary, but my son said this and I said, uh, Caden, um, have you taken a look around lately? You, you have a movie theater in your house. You've got a game room in the basement. You've got everything that you could possibly imagine. You should never be bored. If you're bored, go wash my truck. (laughs) Okay. So then he kind of laughs and, uh, and then, the, the pastor said, it's like if you gave them all this stuff and they never used it. Mm. 
and they left it out in the rain and it was getting rusty and they weren't taking care of it. Now imagine if you're God and you give all of these amazing people on earth, all this opportunity, all these things, all these tools, all these ways to learn, all these, this body to use, to hold your soul in, to be the vehicle for your soul. And you're just looking down, you're watching people just pollute their body with drugs or alcohol. And listen, like, I'm not perfect. I'm not a saint. I don't judge anybody for anything, but this is an example. And then you're looking down and you're like, have they used all these cool gifts that I've given them? Are they, are they sharing it with other people? Like, how are they using these things that I placed here for them to use right in front of them or inside of them? And it's sat dormant and they haven't used it. It's kind of like an eye opener. And you're like, wow, like, Dave, why you got to get all heavy on me all of a sudden? <laughs> well, well, honestly, it, um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, you have so many gifts. So many people are so afraid to try stuff and to go and chase their dream or to do whatever because they're afraid of failing. But when you're a little kid and you learn how to walk, you don't chastise yourself or have that weird voice in your head. Like, would you be friends with the voice that talks to you in your head sometimes? Like, I wouldn't be friends with somebody like that. <laughs> no. Nope. Would you? No, no, sir. So why so why do we why do we tolerate it? Why do we allow ourselves to do this? Or why do we allow other people to decide on how our life is supposed to be and what the rules of the game are? It's sad. Like, it's so crazy. Like how many of us are walking around being programmed from people that told us which way to be, what's right, what's wrong, how to speak, when not to speak. You're speaking unless you're spoken to a good boy. Wouldn't do this. A good girl wouldn't do this. Don't do this. Don't ever say this. Uh, uh, You don't need a man. You don't need a woman. You can be all on your own. Like all these other people's stuff. And then we take it for fact, and then that becomes our new reality. Mm -hmm. And then people are walking around in this box that they put themselves in, and they can't find happiness, and they can't find the light. They can't find the love. And they're like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm going crazy. I coach every day. I coach these people, some of the most successful people in the world, gazillions of dollars, like pro athletes, celebrities, people you know on TV. And I coach these people. And I'm sitting there like, oh, my God, they don't get it, man. They don't. It's so sad. <laughs> like, And when we can liberate them, Mark, into this other way of being and this peace and this freedom and this joy and this happiness and bliss, like these are words people do not use to describe their everyday emotions. No, they don't. Well, you know what? I, I am so energized <laughs> from having you on the show today. I mean, you just del- – I mean, you – well, I want to say the home run, but I'm not going to say home run. You did a natural hat trick. Maybe the goalie, maybe the Gordie Howell natural hat trick. You got three goals in a row, three fights in a row, and three assists in a row. Whatever. But I am so thankful you came on the show today. This is an incredible episode. So thank you so much for your time today. I loved having you here. Uh, I'm, I'm really grateful for you. And, and uh, you know, I'm just praying for you and your listeners to have the most incredible end to 2021 after all this nonsense that we've had to go through. And I hope that 2022 is a, is a year of freedom and new exploration and expansion and abundance. I just wish everyone out there all the best. And uh, thank you for listening the last hour. 
Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Mark Stucheski podcast. Before you go, it would mean the world to me, and I mean the world, if you would do me a quick favor. Share this episode with one person you know that needs to hear it. Because life tends to get in the way, do it right now. I'm on a mission to help as many people as I can, and you sharing this episode with someone would help me on that mission. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you again real soon.